Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, December 20th. We begin with a look at cellular agriculture, from lab-grown meat to dairy alternatives. Can these products ever really compete with the existing meat and dairy industries? And could the alternatives be a successful tool in battling climate change? We discuss with the professor of food agriculture and resource economics. Next, it's called a vaccine detox, and the process and reasoning behind the practice is quite shocking. We get the details from Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Then it's another edition of Motivational Monday, our weekly segment aimed at helping you achieve your goals and live your best life. This time out, we meet author and founder of the Society of Happy People, Pamela Gail Johnson. And finally, with just a handful of sleeps until Christmas morning, the crunch is on to finish off your Christmas shopping. Mornings with Sue and Andy producer Reese Schaefer joins us to share some tips and suggestions to help you get it done with as little stress as possible. Can Canada become a world leader in cellular agriculture? And how can lab-grown meats help us become net zero by 2050? Here to help provide details on the booming meat alternative industry is Mike Von Massow, Associate Professor of of Food, Agriculture, and Resource Economics at the University of Guelph. Good morning to you, Mike. Good morning, Andy. Well, let's get to this because this is something I've heard more and more. It seems like really in the past just couple of years, cellular agriculture. How do we define it and how does the process work? Well, cellular agriculture is sort of a really broad term that, that defines sort of food products and as importantly, food ingredients that are made either through uh, culturing cells in, you know, we call them lab-grown or test-tube meat, but culturing cells in large tanks where we can create uh, the, the cellular product without having a live animal or a live, uh, live plant. And the other side of it is the fermentation products where we can ferment uh, we can we can we can use yeasts and bacteria to ferment products uh, and those products are a byproduct of the fermentation process so as an example uh, we now have yeasts that can produce some dairy proteins casein and whey mm-hmm. uh, without ever having seen a cow wow incredible let's uh, talk about you know something that's interesting to me as well when you talk about the cellular agriculture, and we're always uh, wanting to get things back to, well, get things to, rather, net zero, uh, that's uh, in the conversation, looking at uh, 2050 as the dates that we've set here in Canada, could this process contribute to helping reach that goal? Well, I think this process could help reach that goal from a couple of perspectives. Uh, first, uh, there will be some of these products, and, and again, some of these products are still in very early development. Some of them are still in some researchers' imagination. But there is some early indication that, uh, that many of these products will be, will be less, uh, will have lower emissions than some of the traditional sources of those products, uh, not least because we'll be able to produce them domestically and there won't be shipping costs. But we know that also with some production there is, uh, there, there, there is emissions. The other thing I think that, that is worth noting is that this will continue to provide an opportunity or pressure to, to, to innovate. So I think we're seeing in some of our traditional agriculture lots of 
uh, great minds looking at ways to reduce the carbon footprint of our of our traditional production and and the 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 development of these cellular agriculture products i think sort of ups the incentive to do that as as more com- competitors come in so i think there's an opportunity for these products to to augment mm-hmm. our food production and and provide uh, complementary uh, food for lower emissions and to provide uh, a little bit of an incentive to innovate more quickly in our traditional areas. Mike, you mentioned to, to uh, complement, you use the term augment. Uh, you know, still, I think you have to give the industry credit uh, in the sense that the meat alternative is in an all-time high as far as the demand for them, uh, meat and dairy alternatives. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, as somebody who, who loves a good steak and loves a, a nice cold glass of milk, will these alternatives ever really be able to compete, you know, against the good old standards? Or are they going to always be something that's kind of supplemental or, or an alternative? Well, I, I think that there are two questions there, Andy. Yeah. The, first, the first thing is, uh, I think, yes, they will compete. I think the technology will get there that this will provide people with an alternative to uh, to traditional products for those people that want them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there will be people who are uncomfortable with the process and will stay with the traditional. I think there will be people who say, well, look, the the traditional industry is is innovating, and I can I can meet my personal I can fulfill my personal values on on emissions and things by still. Uh, eating traditional products, I think the, gre- the, the, the biggest impact will be people like me who are in the middle who say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just diversify my diet. I'm going to eat some of these products, but I'm going to eat some traditional uh, products as well. And so, yes, they will compete. Mm-hmm. Yes, they will put some pressure on. Demand for food continues to rise in this, it, it, not only in this country, but across the world. Uh, and the demand for protein is going up faster than the demand for food as economic development comes. I think there's going to be a place for both. Uh, I don't see a full replacement in in my lifetime, yeah. uh, and and I'm not sure that it'll ever be on on the table that 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 we completely go away from where from how we've traditionally produced food, how we traditionally the quote unquote traditional food will change too. We're seeing. Great innovations, uh, reducing emissions in livestock production. We're seeing great innovations in, in traditional crop production. So I think uh, again, we'll, everything will change, but that there'll be some, uh, there'll, there'll be room for everyone at the table, so to speak. Pardon the pun. Yeah. Oh, I get it. Yep. And uh, you know, speaking of room for the ta- uh, at the table, you know, we'd we'd like to get on the ground floor here in Canada, and, and I mean. Uh, be a leader, what do we need to do as a nation to become a leader when it comes to this type of an industry, or are we doing enough right now? Well, I think uh, we're not doing enough right now. I think there's a real opportunity to to provide to provide uh, sort of uh, some leadership in getting this thing done. For, for one thing, I think traditional agriculture needs to see this as an opportunity. Doing good science often provides secondary benefits uh, that 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 weren't anticipated. Look at the space program. So so we need to stop seeing it as a threat. This technology is going to come regardless, and it's just a question of whether Canada wants to play in this space. Uh, we need to uh, find ways to incentivize investment. We need to 
make sure that we're providing a regulatory environment that uh, allows these products to come to the market. Um, we need to support highly qualified uh, personnel in in research settings, and we need to create a, an innovation space that lets that lets startups thrive in a Canadian context and not have to move to other places to find capital, to find good people, and those sorts of things. So, so providing some focused effort around that, I think, would really position Canada well to get where we want to go. And I would think, Mike, the difference between this and uh, traditional agriculture, for example, is the ground that you have, the climate that you live in, really doesn't matter at that point. Well, it's different. We will still have feedstocks, and this is one of the reasons that I think Canada is well-positioned. You still have to feed those fermenters. You Mm -hmm. still have to feed that yeast. So you don't need necessarily the same land base, the same places that, that, that you've needed historically. But uh, one of the advantages we have is space. We have the feedstocks. We produce them on the prairies. We produce them in Ontario. So, so taking advantage of some of, of Canada's natural endowments, mm-hmm. while it may not be sort of what we traditionally view as food production, we do have an opportunity to do it here in Canada and maybe an advantage that some other places don't have. Very interesting, and it uh, could be a a whole new uh, venue and a whole new avenue for our industry. So thank you so much for your time, Mike. We appreciate it. Well, thanks thanks for having me. Good stuff. That is Mike Von Massau, uh, Associate Professor of Food Agriculture and Resource Economics at the University of Guelph. Well, this is interesting to me. A very bizarre phenomenon has developed out of the COVID-19 pandemic where some people have started looking for information on how to detox from the vaccine after they've received it, particularly if they didn't want to have it in the first place. To uh, explain this bizarre trend, we're joined by Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Good morning to you, Dr. J. Good morning. Um, Okay, Uh, where, how did, so many questions, but let's start with, where where did this trend come from, Dr. J? Oh, so so, uh, vaccine detox has been around with us for quite some time, but it's typically uh, touted as a removal of, of, uh, toxins or heavy metals that the vaccine uh, any vaccine now we're talking historically for the past decades that any vaccine we get well will build up toxin in our body so that we have to actually detox from those toxins which build up i think covid and because of uh, the vaccines just hitting the public eye so so heavily this has taken a whole new world of now we're not just talking about heavy metals we're talking about the actual effect of the vaccine itself that we have to detox from like if so if it gives you an immune response we need to somehow de-immune our our immune system somehow so it actually doesn't react to the immune uh, you know the immunity of the vaccine which is the point of getting the vaccine so it's really taking a weird twist here so is that possible to do something like this or is this pie in the sky actually not (laughs) so as soon as you get the shot um your immune system is doing what it's doing and that's the point of it and you can't undo that um so actually the notion of it is faulty right from the start okay so where where is it spreading physically you mentioned this has been going on but is this uh, something online can i assume or on the social media it seems to be that this is completely a social media phenomena and apparently i'm not a big tiktok fan but apparently anti-vaxxers uh, loved TikTok as their platform even more than than other social media. So now they're showing, I guess, you know, little video clips of 
uh, how to make a like a borax um, bath that after your vaccine you go you know run home and you take a borax bath and this is supposed to somehow <laughs> I don't know what it's supposed to do apart from really irritate your skin because apparently this is quite caustic so um, but I guess it gives you some effect that uh, you feel like you've done something. But could could people actually get injured or you know have some health uh, uh, concerns following trying one of these detoxes then? Oh, I would think so, um, especially if it's uh, ill-fated. Um, like if you're doing something that's quite irritating, uh, any fallout would be from the the you know so-called antidote and not from the vaccine. Now, certainly, you get an immune response from vaccines. Some yeah. people get laid low, uh, flu-like illness. Uh, some people get a really sore arm. So, take Tylenol, take an anti-inflammatory. You know, lay low for a bit. But that's a good thing. That's the immune system reacting to what it's been given. So. Try, you know, the, the notion that we should try to blunt that or, or change that or is really, really not the whole point is to get a bit of that and have the immune system uh, primed and boosted from that. And I'm guessing, because you've looked at the research there, uh, that technically if you don't want a vaccine, you're not going to get one. But this would typically be the crowd perhaps that, you know, quote unquote, had to get a vaccine because of yes. their work, for example. Absolutely. So this would be I go disgruntled into this. Um, and because it really is harmful, it really is bad. So I had to do it, though. I was forced into it. So now at least I try to get out all the badness that I possibly can because I really didn't want it in the first place. This is exactly that crowd. It's thankfully a very small percentage, um, and and maybe it's good in the sense that they got the vaccine one way or the other. Um, uh, but what a, it's such a, such an odd twist, you know, at the tail end of this uh you know, at the year to to have this be this this next wave of of, of interesting effects with people on vaccines. Truth is stranger than fiction, and I guess you know. I tell you, the past couple of years, what would surprise you anymore? Uh, not much surprises. Not me, much, yeah. correct. Uh, but uh, <laughs> thank you uh, so much for your time, Doctor J. We appreciate it. Okay, and all the best of the season. You as well. As Doctor Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. This is Motivational Monday, a chance to get you motivated today and beyond. And during times of uncertainty and fear, and boy, we've been going through that, haven't we? Finding happiness can be pretty difficult, but it certainly is possible. Author Pamela Gail Johnson has written a new book to help us out. It's called Practical Happiness, Four Principles to Improve Your Life. And she joins us now. Hi, Pamela. Hi, how are you guys? Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. You are perfect for Motivational Monday. Uh, Let's begin with the fact that you're actually the founder of the Society of Happy People. What is it and how do I join it? Well, the Society started in 1999, or 1998 actually, and so basically we're just about celebrating happiness when it happens. We, We don't want people to pretend to be happy if they're not. But, you know, if you happen to be happy, just embrace it with as much zest and enthusiasm as you do, you know, when you're kind of annoyed. Um, so we, we we have three holidays that do that. And by the way, Canada is in our top four countries of people who are part of the Society of Happy People. Love it. Wow. Incredible. Uh, something that's interesting, you offer up some tips. And this is interesting to me because I think that, you know, not only for the definition of happy, but personally, 
it, it, it can change, right? So you talk about reevaluating and maybe changing the goals that you have when it comes to being happy. Tell us about this and checking in with yourself. How often should we do it or how do we know that we have to change what makes us happy or change that focus? Well, I think those are actually two of the principles that are in the book. I, I merged them. So we always have to reevaluate our happiness. That can even change daily. So think about it. If you didn't sleep really good tonight and you went to work and you get home and you're exhausted, maybe taking a 10-minute power nap is what personally makes you happy and also what makes you happy because you're tired from just a situation. Um, It also changes the bigger, you know, as your life changes. So probably when you're, you know, in your 20s and you're in school and you're, you know, more social, being out to three in the morning and going to work at eight or nine probably is no big deal. As you mature, maybe you have kids, a family, you get a little bit more, like I said, your body matures. That might not be your idea of fun on a Tuesday night because the next day going to work doesn't feel as fun when you only had four hours of sleep. So your happiness is just going to always be in a constant evolving format. It, mm-hmm. it, it flows. It's not this linear line. Yeah, no one's ever happy all the time, that's for sure. You know, we referenced your book, and, and it, it shares real stories from real people. And you also talk about happiness zappers within those stories. So of all the things that zap your happiness, what, what, what can those be? So happiness zappers are just different experiences, and we divide them into five. So one is unhappiness. Those are those big things that require usually some time to adjust. So obviously the biggest one would be the death of a loved one or a pet or that takes time to adjust to, but can also be a health challenge. So maybe you go to the doctor and the doctor just totally changes your lifestyle. It's like you have to exercise now. You can't eat your favorite foods very often. That can cause grief too. It could be a risk you have with a family member or a friend. And so there's an estrangement going on in a relationship. It could be a job change that you didn't want to happen. The company you worked for decides that you're laid off or Maybe they don't exist anymore, so you have to grieve that process. So those are the biggies. And then we all have stress. Stress is just part of our everyday life, so we have to learn to manage that. We have fear. There's going to always be fears that creep up that, what if I don't succeed or what if this goes wrong? We have to manage that. We have chaos that can just happen. But chaos, fortunately, is usually temporary. There may be lingering effects, but the actual moment is temporary. And then we have annoyances, which is probably the easiest one to follow that. How long are we going to let somebody annoy us? And one of the things I always ask people is, you know, will you remember this a year from now? And if the answer is no, then kind of, you know, let it go now or put it in the God box or whatever works for you. But but kind of let that go because it's sapping happiness that you're not even going to remember it happened a year from now. So why? Yeah, that's a good, good one. Point. Another one you have here is that happiness is bigger than you think, that there are actually many more types of happiness than just a smile on your face, for example. So So break that down for us. Well, the society years ago identified 31 types of happiness, and we all get the obvious ones, humor, fun, excitement, but sometimes we forget that happiness can also just be when you feel blessed, or it can be when you're just peaceful. It can even be something like um, being uh, relieved when something maybe didn't happen, and we can be super happy about that. Sometimes it's being honorable, so it's when we're doing the right thing. So maybe in the exact moment, 
when you're helping somebody do something, it doesn't feel super fun. But after you did it, you're really grateful and glad that you, you were honorable and you did the right thing. So happiness can be a, a bigger, broad range of experiences than we're sort of trained to to look for. So we have a, actually 31 Types of Happiness counter, and your listeners can just go download that at SLHP.com slash gifts. It's just a form. I'll give them all 31 Types of Happiness. And I encourage them to spend like 15 minutes and say, hey, let me count every type of happiness I'm experiencing during this window of time. And in over 20 years, I think I've had one time that somebody didn't have more types of happiness than they kind of thought they would mm. in that moment. Pamela, I'm wondering, you know, one of the notes you sent us was a recent study showed that Americans are unhappier now than they've ever been in the last 50 years. There's been a lot going on, yeah. uh, you know, across the globe and in the news headlines. I'm wondering, uh, is this uh, too much of a mountain to climb, or do you think that we can get everybody happy with, with such large numbers of unhappy people? Well, and I, ironically, that study was done prior to COVID. Um, I think basically happiness is personal. So, yes, I think people can be happier when they want to be happier. But I think it's about one of those things that it's, it's again, such an individualized thing. You can't just kind of wave your magic wand and say, okay, we're going to make everybody happier now. People have to sort of realize what's important to them and what's part of their happiness journey. And I think sometimes we start looking at things that don't really make us happy. For example, when the economy is great and people, more people are working and things aren't, aren't stressed financially, a lot of times pe people think that means happiness, mm. and it rarely does. Well, we're going to help people find some happiness, and that's by sending them to the bookstore to get your book, Practical Happiness, Four Principles to Improve Your Life. Pamela Gale Johnson, and we'll send them to your website as well, PamelaGaleJohnson.com. Thank you so much for joining us. Do. Thank you guys for having me on. And by the way, if anyone pre-orders the book, it comes out January 4th. We do have some gifts for you. Gotta love that. If that doesn't make you happy, nothing will. Happiness advocate and founder of the Society of Happy People. Thanks, Pamela. Are you scrambling to find those last-minute gifts yourself? Well, this morning I'm joined in studio by producer of Mornings with Sue and Andy, Reese Schaefer. Good morning to you, Reese. Good morning, Andy. Are you scrambling? Have you got your shopping done yet? Got to get the stocking stuffers right. for my wife. And I don't want to make a misstep. And I've got limited time because family is in town. I've got a couple family members that are visiting in town. Fortunately, I hope they're not listening, not staying with us. So we have more like space to get things done. But it's going to be tough. Yeah, first tip for those stocking stuffers, you've got to make a list. You gotta get everything down, and you know you can hit up the dollar store. You know, Ooh. shop on a budget. You know, especially for those small things, toothbrushes. You know, hand. You know, sanitizer. I guess yeah, that's the kind of thing that goes in. Moisturizer, yeah. saying all goes. Make a list, check it twice. You know, the tips are always good. You know, Santa's been saying it for years, and we've just kind of <laughs> blown him off. But making a list is a key one. You know, set a time limit. You don't want to spend all day Ooh. shopping for these gifts. You know, have a window. You're trying to try to get all your shopping done in that set amount of time, and set a budget. You don't want to be hit with that big credit card bill at the end because you just were too generous in this holiday season. So set a budget, stay within it. A budget, but also with the list that would yeah. go with it because you've scratched off the list, put the card away. Yeah, exactly. And then you hit up the stores and you go online first. And we can get a lot of our shopping done without even leaving our couch these days. A lot of the places in town still offer, you know, two, three days shipping. They'll be here before Christmas, hopefully, if, you know, you have that kind of patience. I know I don't. 
But shopping online is still a great resource because you can kind of price check different shops across the city, see where inventory is, get curbside pickup, and then, you know, go with purpose. You know exactly what store you want to go to and you head that direction and spend your time there. There's also, you can stay away from the malls. For me personally, I would rather stay away from the malls with all the crowd. Hit up those strip malls, the places that are, you know, are standalone stores, you know, some local shops as well. Try to support local this holiday season. Always great ideas. And, you know, gift cards. We used to think that was a bad idea. Not such a bad idea, especially if someone in your life is asking for clothes. Don't waste your time shopping for clothes they're going to return. And that goes out to all the dudes who want to buy their significant other, their their wife or girlfriend clothes. But, yeah, to that, I love that point because it used to be gift cards were thought of as a cop-out. Did Mm -hmm. you get that impression? I used to get that impression. But like you were talking about earlier, we men are sometimes hard to shop for. Yes. Why risk it just get us a gift card it's appreciated i think people love gift cards because they can get exactly what they want so gift cards a great option you know and you know get creative with your gifts something my girlfriend and i are doing this year is we're making handmade gifts for a lot of the people in our wow. lives yeah so we're doing about a um, bunch of body oils and stuff that we've made and bought the supplies for and yeah so we're doing that kind of thing made labels for it uh, you know r&m botanicals made it look real fancy so you can get creative with these kind of things and those gifts go a long way another great tip i think is um gift experiences yeah yeah that's huge yeah who's big on this too exactly i know dave was talking about earlier going to a concert uh, melissa and i we handmade gifts for ourselves at coloring mine we painted ourselves um, each other gifts there she made me a beautiful mug and i made a spoon holder for the the oven for spills and stuff. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Get, get creative with it. There's lots of ideas. And, you know, this is a strange one I was looking up, but shop on Christmas Eve. If you are really, really, <laughs> you know, not the anxious type and yeah. you're not concerned about not getting the perfect gift that you're looking for, a lot of crowds are, you know, dispensed, dispersed by Christmas Eve. Yeah, a little, yeah. A little less busy. You're still great deals. And, you know, I have to give a shout out to one of my good friends in my life, him and his brother, for decades now, have been shopping on Christmas Eve. They make a whole thing of it. They go in the afternoon, they get lunch, they go, they start their shopping, they get their drinks. And I don't know if people in their family are disappointed with the gifts they receive, but you know, it's a little bit, I'm not that risk adverse where I'd want to shop on Christmas Eve. That sounds way too scary. It's living on the edge. For me, I I do, I I enjoy that idea and a strategy, but for me, I hate wrapping gifts. So I'd Mm -hmm. have to do everything in one night, but I guess that's why they... Invented the gift bag. Exactly. The gift bags are great. I, I hate wrapping gifts. And the gift bags are green because you can just fold them up and use them again over and over. Exactly. Some great tips as we are, how many sleeps? Uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Five sleeps till Christmas Day. Okay, we have four shopping days then. That's how it is. Use every last minute. Thank you so much. Reese Schaefer, producer of Mornings with Sue and Andy, and he's a Renaissance man. He's making his own oils at home. <laughs> I'll tell you what, there's a side gig if I've ever heard one. Thanks so much, Reese. Yep. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.